Uh, we, we love God's Word. We love to teach God's Word. And so what we typically do is just take a book of the Bible, go verse by verse till it's done. Pick a new book, go verse by verse till it's done. Just keep doing that until Jesus comes back. Every once in a while, like the Christmas season, which is coming up, we'll have a particular unique uh, 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 sermon series, but it, we're still teaching God's Word verse by verse. That's our bread and butter. That's all we got. And so if you don't like it, sorry. You'll just welcome. Uh, Today, where we're at in, in this text, that we're coming off of a sermon last week where uh, evil has been pervasive. Evil has been pervasive in the culture. Uh, Paul's telling Timothy, his protege, this young pastor, this young growing church, uh, they're in a culture that's not dissimilar to ours, uh, but, but, but very similar to ours. And so the, as, as the gospel's moving forward, hostility is, is increasing um, and uh, evil is being pervasive. And so um, this is the context, the backdrop in which Paul is writing and increasing evil, pervasive evil has been, been, been growing among the culture. It's infecting the church. And Paul's writing to Timothy to how to deal with, with, with what happens when the teaching of the culture and the world gets infected in the church, how to deal with those leaders, how to deal with that teaching. And so that's been a large part of his letter writing to uh, Timothy. And so we pick up here and we're going to talk about first faithfulness in trying times. How, are you, how can you be a faithful Christian in, in pressurized, trying times? The big idea is as the, as the, the mission must go forward, even if evil uh, per, is pervasive, even if sin uh, and the enemy want to stop and resist Jesus and his church, the church of Jesus must press forward. And so what happens when the, when the culture and the backdrop and the, the place where we do ministry, live our lives, raise our kids, have our families, go to work, go to school, do all these things, um, there, there, there's, there's pressure against Jesus and his church. And so we pick up in chapter 3, verse 10. It says, you, however, he's talking to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my life, my faith, my, uh, my, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my suffering. That happened to me when I was at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. For Paul, he's doing ministry in a context where people don't want him to do ministry. He's preaching the Bible where people don't want him to preach the Bible. He's sharing Jesus in a context where they don't like Jesus, they don't like his word, they don't like his will, they don't like his ways. He, he's, he is a man who, uh, of faith, but he was once a man of rebellion. He was once a man who resisted Jesus. He's a once a man who hated Jesus. He was once a man who persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. The guy who's writing this letter, the guy who's now in prison and he's about to be executed and murdered for being a Christian used to be a Christian killer. He knows what they do to Christians. He understands. He did it. He sanctioned it. He's well aware of the persecution and the reality of persecution that comes from following Jesus. So he's talking to Timothy and he's telling him, he's encouraging him, uh, you followed me. You have followed me. You have followed my teaching. You have followed my conduct. You have followed my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Even you followed my persecutions. You're enduring well. You are in the middle of suffering as well, Timothy. So I ask the first question I want to ask you, who are you following? Who you follow matters. Who you follow will form you. Literally, our algorithms on the internet are, are set to, to, whoever you follow, the algorithms are set to, to form who they suggest you should, oh, I, I got a, a notification the other day that I would like this type of shirt. 
I didn't know I would like it, but they knew I would like it. Uh, It's the Amazon pops up. Oh, people like you who wear this size shirt also bought this shirt in this other size. We know you. We want you to know this is the path forward. Uh, The reason I say this, whoever you follow really does matter. Uh, In our world, we see it through algorithms and and social media, but really who you follow matters. Who a a, a young child, who they follow matters. It's oftentimes if a dad's not present, then, you know, it's, it's hard hard for uh, their, their view of masculinity, if it's a young boy, is, is they struggle there. If their mom's not present or they find, men want to find other examples of men to, to imitate, to be like. Timothy grew up uh, without his dad present or his dad wasn't a believer. And so Paul has become like a father in the faith to him. And so he has been modeling his life after the Apostle Paul, following him, not just his love, not just his patience, not just his conduct, not just his character, not just his trajectory in life, not just his faith, but even his steadfastness in the midst of persecution. See, Timothy's not exempt from persecution, just like the Apostle Paul wasn't exempt from persecution, just like Jesus wasn't exempt from pain and suffering and affliction. So he tells him uh, that, he, that he has seen, Timothy, you've seen my persecutions. You've seen how I've endured. You see how the Lord has rescued me. And he, he speaks of some spe- specific times, some hardships, some calamities. Some, some, he, he's writing to Timothy while he's in prison. One time Paul preached a sermon and a riot broke out. Like, that, that's, that's the kind of environment he was preaching in. Uh, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 11, uh, verse 23 through 27, it's not going to be on the screen, so you can go back and read it. I just want you to know where it is at. It lists a bunch of things that the Apostle Paul has been through. First, or 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 says this, he's been in far more imprisonments than anyone else. He's been in prison a lot. He said he's had countless beatings. So they take a rod and hit him. Hit him to the point of almost death. He was often near dead, he says. Five times, five different occasions, he says he received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. So that's 39. Why was it 39? Why is this so unique number? Because the science was so calculated in their, in their beating of Christians and beating of, of, of those who they had imprisoned that if you, if you went 40, that would kill the guy. So they went 39 times so, you know, he could live and suffer some more. Five different occasions this happens. I don't know about you, but after the first time, when they were like, you know, 39, man, I made it through the next day. What, what, how, how do you react? Guess what he did? He got someone to stitch him up, bandage him up, you know, heal up. And then what he did, he walked right back into the city, stood tall, head straight, proclaimed the gospel. He continues, not just was he, he beaten, but he was, uh, he was also beaten with rods three times. Different instruments. Once he was stoned, you know, with rocks. Three times he was shipwrecked. Night and day he was left adrift at sea. So he's, he's, he's riding on a, on a boat to his ministry destination. Storm comes, now he's shipwrecked at sea. He, he, some of you, how have you, have you ever felt like you're on the mission that God's called you to and things just feel like a shipwreck? You just feel like you're, this is not how it was supposed to go. I'm headed towards what you want me to, Jesus, and now I feel like I'm abandoned, I'm adrift at sea. 
He said he, he had frequent journeys where he was in danger from rivers. So not just from people, but from the rivers were, were dangerous. The waters were dangerous. He was in danger from robbers. So people wanted to steal his stuff. So at night he had to sleep with his eyes open. He, if he was alone, he probably didn't sleep. He was in danger from his own people. Think about your friends, your family, uh, the people he loved, people he trusted, people who were near and dear to him. He was in danger from Gentiles. This means non-Christians. Non-Christians didn't like him. Uh, he was in danger in the city. He was in danger in the wilderness. He was in danger at sea. He was in danger from Frost brothers who were fake Christians we'll talk about later. In toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, oftentimes in hunger and thirst and oftentimes uh, without food and he was exposed oftentimes to cold uh, without in, in exposure to the elements that's the stuff he went through for the mission God had called him to so let me just the, just that little account who liked Paul nobody nobody the Christians didn't like him, the, or the Jews didn't like him, the, 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 the Gentile pagans didn't like him. They didn't like, Je they didn't like Jesus, they didn't like the Apostle Paul, they didn't like him. He, he had no friends, oftentimes. The friends he did have sold him out. He's writing to a, a brother, a friend in the faith, Timothy. He's one of his last friends because he, told, he talked to us recently throughout the scriptures that, hey, everyone abandoned him. This is the cost. This might be the cost of following Jesus. This was the cost for the Apostle Paul and following Jesus. And he's telling Timothy, think about this. He's, he's telling Timothy, all right, now I want you to continue to follow me. Continue following my teaching. Well, what does your teaching lead to? Well, you might get, you know, beaten with rods. You might get kicked out of, you know, the city. You might be shipwrecked. Your teaching might lead to 39 lashes. Uh, you might get uh, defriended. You might get defunded. You might get uh, people stealing your stuff. There's a lot of things that might happen to you because of my teaching, Timothy. What about my, and then, but I want you to endure, endure, endure in a way that you conduct yourself like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, which he has said repeatedly. What did he, follow the aim, the trajectory. Paul's not just doing this for fun. He's doing this because he wants people to meet Jesus. He's willing to do, endure anything because he wants people to know, love, and trust Jesus. And so that's the backdrop. That's the context. He wants Timothy to be faithful even in trying times. And so he then turns to talking about godliness and talking about how to be godly in a world that's lost its mind. We live in a world that has lost its mind. Lost its mind. Verse 12, he says this, Indeed, all those, hear it, Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Did you notice that there wasn't an if? Did you notice there wasn't a, well, only in certain contexts and certain continents? He says, indeed, all, Greek word, all, it means all. The same way all can come to Christ and be saved, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why does he say this? Why does he say this? Because it's, it's not only true, but, but it, he wants Timothy to know and he wants the church that Timothy pastors the, the, for the, the Christians to have a backbone, a steel spine that endures hardship. 
And this is not a victim mentality. He's not saying, be a victim, everyone's going to hate you, just poor Christians, just, you know, huddle together and, you know, we don't like the other guys because they're mean to us. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying just, hey, soldier, this is what's going to happen. When you go to war, they're going to they're be against you. When you herald the gospel, they might persecute you. When you share the truth about Jesus, they might say false things about you. They might call you narrow-minded and bigoted. Why? Because there's one way that's pretty narrow. Jesus says there's a narrow way and only few will find it. He was the first bigot. That's who we follow. We follow Jesus. He's very narrow-minded. There's only one way to salvation. Some Christians are afraid to even say that. Why would we call Jesus narrow-minded? Well, he's, he's narrow in, in, in salvation. He's also the most exclusive, inclusive person there ever existed. Everyone wants to be inclusive and tolerant, but Jesus is the only one who can truly be inclusive. He says, you come to me, there's one way, though. You must repent of your sins. You must trust me for salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's the most inclusive and intolerant person at the exact same time. Every other religion is just quite intolerant. And they're not inclusive. Because they have a bunch of rules you got to keep, all these things you got to do to make your way in. Jesus says, come to me, I'll change you. But you must change. You can't worship any other God. You can't have any other, you know, you, you can't seek your own glory. I, my glory, my God, my kingdom, that's one way. Anyone can come. Here's the reality. People are like, that's narrow-minded, that's bigoted. We don't like that because they don't want to come. They don't want to go to Jesus. They don't want the one way. They want their own way. They want their own way. And when, that, when, when Jesus is the only way and you want your own way, what eventually happens is you turn on Jesus and his people. He says all those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. The cost of being a Christian is, is that you must give Jesus not just your sin, not just your life, but also your reputation. If you're going to keep following Jesus in a, the world that's lost its mind, you must give Jesus your reputation. See, the reason why it would cost them is because their faith, the Christian faith, is not a private faith like everyone would like to, you to think it is. It is a public faith. There's only one way that persecution comes. It's not from being quiet. It's from being vocal. What, you think he's getting in prison, beat up, put in, you know, put in prison, you know, 30 lashes minus one, beaten with rods, people hate him, he's in danger because he's silent about his faith in his own home, in his own community where they don't offend anyone, they don't get, they don't get into, oh, we're not going to talk about these things around certain people because it will hurt their feelings or, you know, that person doesn't agree with us, so we're just going to keep silent. No. If you read through the, the book of Acts uh, of Paul's church planning endeavors, he finds the people who were the most opposed to Jesus and he shows up and goes, hey, let's talk about it. He goes to the synagogue where the Jews are like, no, 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 let's talk about it. So who's the, who, what's the group of people that would oppose you the most? Who, who, if some of you came out of environments where, where you, were, you were not a Christian, Jesus saved you, and you go back and they're like, man, I can't believe this guy, this girl, man, they, they believe in this Jesus, they've, ab they've abandoned us, they've I don't know what's going on. Paul goes back to those people. He finds the non-Christians. He finds the, the people who oppose Jesus. He finds people who hate Jesus. And he says, hey, I know you hate Jesus, but he loves you. I know you may hate me, but I love you. And he's going to be faithful to preach the gospel and share his life with them. 
even if it cost him his relationships. And we just read, we just heard, he doesn't have any relationships anymore. The Christian faith is not a private faith. Anyone who claims the Christianity is to be private does not, has not read their Bible, period. Jesus gave us a mission to go and tell people something. Guess how you do that? With words. Romans 10 says they can't know unless someone preaches to them. That you gotta speak it. He said people can't be saved unless, they can't even have faith unless the word of God is proclaimed. Christianity is not a private faith. It is an absolute public faith. Any other version is false. Jesus, in his, the Great Commission, tells us to go, to not just tell the gospel, but to obey all that he has said. All that Jesus has said. It's bound in a book. God revealed it to us. We've been, taught, we've been told by Jesus' commission to not just herald the good news that he saves, but to teach one another, meaning you and I, all of us, to observe or obey all that he has commanded. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So if you love Jesus, you will obey him. That's what he says. And so if you're going to obey him, that means you, you're following him. Wherever he leads, you say, yes, sir, we're going. And then you, you endure when they persecute you or they dislike you. Jesus says go. We've got to obey his word, not just where he's sending us, not just to herald it, but to obey what he says. You know, it affects your marriage, how you view your spouse, how you view one another, your relationships. If you're dating, if you're, you're in relationships, Jesus owns and is overseeing that, and you should obey his word in that regard to your relationships, through, the what, through what you look at on the internet, through the, the, the things you consume, the, the, the food, the drink, the, the media you consume should not be dictated by anyone else but God's word, will, and ways. We're not saying avoid food or drink or, 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 or culture or, or entertainment, but we're saying it must be bound and captive by God's word. We take God's word and use that as a lens to guide us through the culture we live in. We don't take the culture we live in and then go edit God's word. You do that and people won't like you. They won't like you. There's no such thing as a, 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 a Christian in the closet. If you are, come on out. It's the only pride we'll celebrate in that. That's the only one we got. That's the one we got. We're proud to be Christians. We're proud to be Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians. We're public about that. While we're public about that, there's also a different type of people. Verse 13, while evil people, evil people, Impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Anyone who preaches a gospel other than that's been revealed to the scriptures, anyone who edits the text, anyone who, is, who affirms things that Jesus condemns is an evil imposter. If they teach the Bible, they're a false teacher. I'm not writing the news. I'm just telling you what it says. I didn't write it, I would have probably, I would have for sure messed it up and edited it and I would have been a heretic. Because I care too much about what people think sometimes. But the more holy we become, the more we chase Jesus, the more we are sanctified into his likeness, we care less about offending people. We, we care more about offending God. I don't want to offend God. If me not offending God offends someone else, I can't, 
He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I am bound to Jesus. Jesus is my master. He is yours also if you're a Christian. So you can't cower to culture if Jesus is your master. He says there's imposters. They're, they're seeking to deceive people. And he says, as for you, continue in what you have learned. You're, some of you are like, well, what has he learned? It's in here. It's, the, it's been written. It's, go back and read it all. Continue what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing whom you've learned it, from whom you've learned it. And you learned it, he said, from, a ch- from childhood. Verse 15, how from childhood you were acquainted with the sacred writings of scriptures, which are, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's telling Timothy, keep going. It's gonna go bad from worse. It might, might get worse before it gets better. There are people who are, who are deceived and they're being deceived. These are fake Christians. They're, they're false. They edit God's word. They're counterfeits. They, 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 they edit the Bible. They, they edit their Christianity, their worship to fit into culture instead of commanding what God's word says that we should not be conformed by the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. These people, he says, they, they, they're captured. We saw last week and the week before that they've been captured by Satan, many of them unknowingly. Like, I, don't, I didn't mean to be captured by Satan. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't sign up for it. But whenever you believe lies or are a liar, you are captive by the great deceiver, the great serpent, Satan. He's the liar. Jesus is the truth. He says, turn from the wicked serpent to the truth and have life. The truth will set you free. Lies will keep you condemned and deceived. And so liars are telling lies. And this, is, this is crazy because we live in a world that we're getting a you know, front row seat, a lesson of, from our, our, our nation's leaders always uh, about everything, about how to lie. Like no one will ever admit they're wrong when they're wrong. We don't. We get, we get a front row seat. You watch the news, guess what you're going to learn? How to lie. I'm not saying don't watch the news, but if that's the only news you got, you're a, you learn how to lie really well. The good news, the good news of Jesus is the truth. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by Jesus, the truth. So that means for Christians, we don't, we, when, we don't, when we are wrong, we admit it. We confess it. We don't lie. We don't cover up. If Jesus has died for your past, present, and future sins, if he has already been crucified, beaten, murdered for you as a substitute, then you can tell him your sin. He knows. He has the scars. He has the holes in his hand, piercing in his side. He, he, he knew what it felt like for the blood to drip down his brow, to breathe his last breath. Because he, he took your sin, your shame, your suffering, put it on the cross, died in your place for your sin. Therefore, we can confess our sins freely and repent freely, knowing that, there's no, that we can't out the mercy and grace of Jesus. There's more mercy and grace in Jesus than sin in us. And so this type of message, this type of witness is, is, is going to be hostile in a culture that's going from bad to worse, that's 
deceiving and being deceived. All of a sudden, the, the serpent Satan has deceived people in, in his church and in the church in America and many other churches around the world to, to take the truth, them to hear the truth and see the truth and go, no, that's false, that's a lie. Let's persecute that. Let's cancel that. Let's eradicate that. We don't want to be a part of, 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 of a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing church. They will, they will refuse to admit they're wrong. They will refuse to repent. They will refuse to, to follow Jesus. Martin Luther was known for saying that he said, preach the gospel in such a way. And I, and I this is, I, I follow this one. You'll know why when I say the quote. He says this, preach the gospel in such a way that, they, that people either hate their sin or they will hate you. Another way to say it is preach the gospel, share your faith in such a way that they reject Jesus or they reject you. We live in a day where we have a Christianity that hope, we hope that we can share Jesus and if they reject Jesus, hopefully they won't reject me. I want to preach the gospel and be faithful, but only to the point where ah, if they reject Jesus, they still have me as their friend. If they reject Jesus and keep me as their friend, we call it good evangelism. I just don't know how that's biblical. Don't know why we would even think that. Preach the gospel, share your faith, be clear about the person and work of Jesus, and you might find out that they reject you. And they reject Jesus also, because you're with him. And so some of you, you grew up in, in, in not in a church environment, you were not a Christian, and you heard God, the gospel message, you saw Christians, you were just opposed to it, and you're like, man, I'm not going to become a Christian through these fools. I'm not, I don't like what they believe, I don't stand for what they stand for, I'm not going to do it. And all of a sudden, now you're a Christian. You're like, funny how things change. And you're like, how did that happen? I don't know. I went from believing lies, now I believe the truth, and I'm set free. It's kind of crazy. That's the Apostle Paul's story. He went from being totally opposed to Jesus and Christianity to being willing to die for the faith. Who's teaching you? Who's, who's speaking into your life? Is it the teaching of the culture? Is it, is it the deception of the world? Is it false truth, false gospel? When you believe and, and live in light of false gospel, hear me this, if you live and build your life on the deception of a false gospel and false truth, you're literally building hell on earth. Satan and demons hate you and they hate us, they hate the world, they hate everything, they hate God and they're liars when you build your life on, on lies, you are building a culture of not kingdom down, but hell up. That's what you're doing. And so Paul is wanting us to repent from that. He's wanting the Timothy to lead the church away from that because false teachers have come in and they're trying to deceive the church. And so he tells Timothy that you, you have been taught this, Timothy. You've been taught the gospel. You've been taught the word of God. You firmly believe it. He, he believes the Bible. He says that he was taught from a child, at chi from, from his childhood. You're taught from a young age, Timothy. See, parents, if you're a parent, it's your responsibility to teach your children the Bible. It is not your responsibility to, to give them neutrality until they become of age to then choose which God they want to worship. That's demonic. That's one of those ones where I, if you don't like it, you can hate me. I'll take that one. I, it's just, that's one of those moments. Like, I don't care. 
It is demonic. If you want to give your kids free choice, whenever it's your responsibility, you are the one that's, that's reaping, that will reap another child of hell just like yourself. That's what Jesus says. By the way, I paraphrase Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He says, it's worse for you if you know what's right and you teach people to disobey the word of God. Jesus says this, not me. I said it too, though. Parents, it's your responsibility to teach your children. If you don't, then Satan and the enemy is willing to do so. He's glad. He loves it when parents pun on their responsibility. He wants to teach them through movies. He wants to teach them through entertainment. He wants to teach them through the teachers in the school system. He wants to teach them through media. He wants to teach them everywhere. He, want, he will teach them if you don't. And he will teach them even if you do. He'll show up. He'll show up. He's not afraid. There's no neutral environment. This is a war zone. And you may herald the gospel and the enemy will show up as well. He won't stop. And why do Christians stop? Now I'm not saying movies, entertainment, media, those are of the devil. I'm saying that Satan and the enemies and the deceivers and the liars and the false gospel tellers will use these mediums to communicate and teach. Christians ought to do the same. Use these mediums to teach and promote Jesus in the gospel. But moreover, parents are responsible for what their children consume, what their children learn, who's teaching them. There is no excuse. Paul is encouraging Timothy, saying, hey, you're your grandma, because we, we learned at the beginning of 2 Timothy that his grandmother and his mother were, were teaching him the scriptures. And so we see from childhood, verse 15, that he had, been equated, he, he had been acquainted with the sacred writings. He knew his Bible. He was taught his Bible. He was brought up in the faith. And so this is how you live in a world and you parent kids in a world that's lost its mind, you don't deviate from God's word. You teach it, you love it, you cling to it. He says that it revealed to him. It makes you wise for what? Salvation through faith in Jesus. The Bible teaches us how to be saved. Jesus tells us there's one through the scriptures that he is the way to salvation. There is no other way. The law of God shows us our flaws. The gospel tells us that we need a savior and that Jesus is the only savior. Timothy has been taught in it. He's been instructed in it. And now he's a pastor heralding it and teaching a congregation it. Paul's reminding him, hey, you've been believing since you were a young child. You, you grew up in, in, in the church. You, you grew up with the sacred writings of the scripture. You know that this word of God has the power to, to lead people to salvation. He's primarily talking about the Old Testament and uh, the Psalms and in, in, in the, the Old Testament. And so Timothy has been trained in it. And now he's being trained in the New Testament through this letter that Paul's writing him. From childhood, he's been taught. The Bible reveals to us Jesus, our need for a Savior. It also reveals to us the implications of the gospel. That's why Paul's writing all these letters to these churches. He's going, you've been saved, you're Christians. Now this is how Christians live. Christians, Christians live distinctly different from the world, not to earn God's righteousness, not to earn God's favor, but because we have God's favor. My kids follow the rules of my house not to earn their status as a daughter or a son of mine. 
They follow the rules of my house because they live in my house. We are part of Jesus' family. We follow his word, his will, his ways. That's how we navigate this, this culture that we live in. That's how we, we progress forward, even in persecution, even when people dislike us, even when there's pressure on every side, even when it feels like everyone has lost its mind, even when it feels like Christians are just jumping out of the car, abandoning their faith left and right. We continue to cling to Jesus. We continue to cling to his word. It has the power that leads us to salvation, to make us wise. We ought to be acquainted with these words. And so I need you to see this. When when, when you live your life and build your life around God's word, will, and ways, we're told in in, uh, Psalm 1 that you're blessed. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not according to the ways of the wicked or the ways of the sinners, but but, but their, their delight is in God's law. They build their life on God's word. That's the blessed, that's the happy family, that's the happy life. Deviating from God's word, what happens is the Holy Spirit flies in tandem with God's word. When you deviate from God's word, you deviate from the spirit and power. If you want God's power in your life, you can't deviate from his word. You must be tethered to it, tied to it. Teach your children the same thing. So remember the context. They're enduring pressure. They're going to endure persecution. He says things might get bad to worse because you have these deceivers, people in the church who are imposters, people who will oppose you, people who, who will be against you. You're not a victim. Stand firm. Cling to God's word. It has power. It has power. In the midst of trial, in the midst of increasing ungodliness, you have God's word to be tethered to, to be tied to, to help you endure whatever you're going through. Which moves us into verse 16, the sufficiency of Scripture. So this is the context. Oftentimes we read uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and, and we, we, we miss the context of this whole dialogue he's been speaking to about persecution, about calamity, about people being deceived, about the church experiencing hard pressure, and, and, and about Timothy being grown up in the words of the faith. And now he's, now he's going to anchor it into this, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This first thing he says is that the Bible has been breathed out by God. All the scripture, that's Genesis to Revelation, has been breathed out by God. It's the breath of God is literally what he's saying. It's the same in Genesis 1 when, when the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. Uh, the this, this Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is what, who wrote the book. The Bible, notice this, he's not talking about, we, we know the, uh, uh, historically, and they would know, they would, they would talk about who wrote the, the first five books of the, the, the Bible, the, the Torah, uh, or in the, in the Pentateuch, who, who, wrote, who wrote the Pentateuch? Moses. But notice he's not giving credit to, to Moses for, for the beginning of the books. He's not giving credit for David in any of the Psalms. He's not giving Solomon any credit for the wisdom literature. He's not giving any of the prophets credit for any of the scriptures. He's giving no one credit about any of the scriptures but God. All scripture is breathed out by God. Paul gives credit to God for writing the Bible, not man. The Bible does not say, talk about, this is a, a book originated by man. So any liar and deceiver who says that is that, a liar and a deceiver. 
The Bible was written, was pinned by man, but written, breathed out by God. God through man, through the Holy Spirit, God by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the, through the handwriting of man, has revealed himself to us through the scriptures. All scripture is God breathed or breathed out by God. Now, let's stop there. If you don't believe this, then throw your Bible away. Why do you have it? It's just another book by another person from another time who doesn't know you or your situation. Why do you care? It's not a sacred book if you don't believe God wrote it. And if you believe God wrote it, read it. Read it. Know it. Cling to it. God has spoken to you. How many of you ever wish you heard an audible voice of God? Read it out loud. If you're married, have your spouse read it to you. That's God's word audibly being heard. It is God's breath breathed out. The scriptures, which ones? All. All that are bound in this book, the scripture, the Bible, is breathed out by God. This is God speaking. And what, is it, what does it do? Okay, God spoke. What does this have the power to do? It says it's profitable for teaching. That's why we teach, use it. So we don't bring other books, other holy books, and other false gods and false religions and go, hey, let's just talk about what this perspective is. We don't have perspective. We have God. That's what we have. We have God. We teach from God's word, and it's profitable for teaching. All of it, even the weird passages. This is why when we preach through books like Genesis, we preach through the, the names, the lineages, the Hebrew phone book. That's what we teach through. We're, we're down for that if it's in the Bible. All scripture is breathed out by God, and all scripture is profitable for teaching. Why? It's because we need to be taught. Do you know everything? No. Do you know everything about God? No. Could you still learn? Yes. So how would we learn? It would be great if God wrote a book that we could learn about him. He did. He did. He did. We, it, it's profitable for teaching because we need to be taught. We need to learn it. But, but, but not just learn. Knowledge, we all, some of you have been taught knowledge is power. That's a lie. Knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge is power. That's power. If you have knowledge, you don't do anything with it. You're just a fool who has information. A wise person takes knowledge and applies it. That's wisdom. So we learn from God's word. We don't just hear God's word, but we do God's word. That's what makes one wise. We're, we're, we're not just learning, we're applying, but we're also being trained in it. We're trained in God's word. You, how many of you do some sort of bodily training, exercise, fitness, uh, or you've had training for your work or your job? You've been trained to do something. Any, that's probably every single person in here. You're trained for something. We've been told already through our study of Timothy that bodily training is a value. It definitely is a value. Training is a value, but godly, training and godliness is, has even more value. Train, do the training you're doing, be fit, be healthy, but also be trained in God's word. It's profitable for teaching. It's also profitable, or it's also for reproof. It's breathed out by God for reproof. What is reproof? Reproof shows us what disappoints God, 
what God likes, what God dislikes, what God approves of, what God disapproves of. of. He, it, reproof tells us what we are called to be. It, it, reproof, what it does, it, it tells us how things are designed to be. Reproof tells us how God wants to be worshipped. So to any degree in which we uh, disagree with God, we are, we, we, are, we are reproved. So when we read the scriptures, God reveals to us, hey, what he likes and what he doesn't like. Hey, worship me in this way. Love these things. Practice these things. Do money this way. Do sex this way. Do marriage this way. Do business this way. Do children this way. Do education this way. Do everything. He, 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 he tends to tell us how to do everything. He gives us principles for all of life. What, what ways to worship him, the ways to glorify him, what honors him, what dishonors him. And so if you're doing the things, you get to God's word, you're reading it, and you realize, like, man, this, God disapproves of this. He dislikes this. This disappoints God. Change, repent. That's what he's asking. And so this is what reproof is. It, uh, there's a, the Bible, if, if taught properly, speaks into the context of modern culture and, and is, is a reproof to what's going on in the world around us. It reproves the world. John the Baptist got beheaded for stuff like this. He, he literally told the governing ruler of the time, he called him out on his, the sin of his marriage. So they took his head off. That's the type of implications of the, he's not saying that, it's my opinion, he's going like, that's not godly, God disapproves of that. You're like, well, was the guy Christian? No. He told a non-Christian guy that he must submit to God's word, will, and ways. Do you know that? Christians, through through God's, God commands non-Christians to submit to him? He does. What if they don't want to? They ought to. What if they resist? They only will for a little bit. We know the end game. Jesus wins. They lose. Join the winning team. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus has died in your place for your sins to take the mess you've made, clean it up, make you whole. Join his team. Or else, fix it yourself. But you can't. So the Bible is, is for reproof as well, which leads to then correction. Why? Because we need to be corrected. We live in a world that doesn't like repentance. We want to be tolerant, and we don't want to correct. Imagine a home where there's no correction. It's chaos. Imagine if there's no correction, and those adults grow up, and they start making money and spending money and making policies. You get America. That's where we're at. We don't believe in correction. We don't believe in repentance. We don't believe in, in being transformed by the renewal of our mind. We don't, be like, we don't believe in conforming uh, to Jesus' work, forming our lives according to Jesus' world, way, lit, or, sorry, word, will, and ways. We believe in, no, don't tell us anything wrong. Don't tell us we're bad. Give us gold stars. Just make sure we're all happy. If I'm not happy, then you got to agree with me. And we keep doing this for forever, then we'll all be happy. No correction, no discipline, no guidance, no repentance. Chaos, anarchy, that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. But the word of God speaks into individuals' lives and brings correction because God loves us. And Hebrews were told that a good father uh, who corrects his children. If, if a father does not correct his children, he hates them. 
scriptures teach us. God loves us. He loves his children. So his word corrects us so he can transform us into his image. He wants us to be like Jesus. Also, this is not just for correction, but for training in righteousness. See, training in righteousness, there's two ways to do it. You can do it by choice. You can be trained in righteousness by choice. You can go to God's word, get in a community group, get in discipleship, learn, uh, submit to God's word, will, and way by choice through discipline, the discipline of, 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 of training, or you can be disciplined by God. So only two, if you're a child of God, those are the two ways to tra- be trained in righteousness, to willfully submit yourself to being trained by God's word, will, and ways, or being chastised and disciplined in correction so that you turn back to his word, will, and ways. And see, some of you hear that and go, man, God's just mean and God's just, no, he loves you so much. We're like children who are running into the street, 18-wheelers coming, and if, we, if he doesn't intervene, doesn't do something, we're just going to get smacked, hit, dead. And we call it loving and diverse to just let the kid run in the street and get hit by the truck. That's not love. That is hate. God loves us and he sees us hell-bent on our own destruction, going to destroy our lives, going to destroy our legacies, going to destroy our families, going to destroy our cities, going to destroy our nations, to destroy the world that he created that we could be a part of to love him and enjoy him and reflect him in every sphere. And we've royally screwed it up. And so he intervenes. He intervenes through his son Jesus to take our place for our sins, to fix our mess. And in doing so, after he rescues us, he brings us back into the family. He's trying to train us and equip us to live like he intended us to be before sin entered the world, by the power of his spirit, through being guided by his word. He has not left us to our own devices, to our own foolishness, to our own interpretation. He he has spoken to us through his word. Sometimes we need to be corrected, but we definitely need to be trained. And when we're trained uh, and the correction comes willfully, we'll willfully change. If you ever, you know, you can't, you know, a bad diet, you cannot work a bad diet. So if you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to train for an objective and a goal, and you're training, you're doing a lot of weights, you're doing a lot of exercise, a lot of cardio, and you can't lose weight, eventually you go, I should probably eat better. And then you do. You self-correct. Discipline and training has a way to self-correct. Going to God's word, reading it, studying it, being trained in it has a way to the spirit of God to self-correct us. And if you don't, you'll pay the consequences, the results of that. Just like if you're, you know, eating pizza every day. I don't know, I'm just thinking of things I like and, you know, not exercising very much and you just, or you're exercising, you can't understand why you're, you're, you're gaining weight still, it's because of your bad diet. If you don't change, you don't repent of that, what happens? You just stay the weight you were. The discipline of, of failure is your correction. God disciplines his children. He disciplines those he loves. He wants to correct us, uh, but, it, but in doing so, he wants us to willfully submit to training and righteousness and let God's word correct us as we're growing in his likeness through training. If we don't, we will be disciplined. And if we're disciplined, that means he loves us because he wants us to not get hit and be destroyed. Lastly, number, uh, the, the fifth thing he says, that he, the, the man or woman of God may be complete complete. 
Notice he says, may be complete, meaning that if you are not a man or woman who submitted to God's word, will and ways, you are not complete. It implies that if you don't, you are without, that they may be complete, equipped for every good work. Christian, you need the Bible until Jesus returns. You can't deviate it. You can't run from it. Jesus actually tells us that man does not live by bread or food alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Another way to say it is every word that's been breathed out by God. Your food, that's good. God's word is a better source of life to complement the food you eat. If you have food and you don't have God's word, you'll still be spiritually starved. God has revealed himself to us. He's given us his word to complete us because we're not complete. We're not, com- we're, not, we're not equipped fully yet. So we need God to continue to speak to us through his word and therefore he's given it to us. I need you to understand God's word is the power source. It is sufficient for everything in your life, no matter what you're going through, what you're leading, whether you're a business leader or you're a community leader or you're, you're a parent or wherever you find yourself, you need God's word. You need his will, you need his ways. You must run to his word, apply his word to be equipped and complete for every good work. This is the word of God. It's also called the sword of the spirit because the Holy Spirit wrote the book. When you're facing hard times, when you're facing trial, when, when, when your family opposes you because you stand for Jesus, or like the Apostle Paul, not just his family, but his friends, everybody turns on him. He's in prison, he's beaten, and he's telling Timothy that might happen to you. Cling to the scriptures. It's the only thing you have to help you endure. So this, this word of God or the sword of the spirit, the, the sufficiency of scripture, we need it personally, daily, to combat the lies how will you know what's a lie unless you test it through the word of God? We combat lies, not just in the culture that help us lead our lives, but also the lies that Satan will tell us. He'll tell us about who, if you're a Christian, he'll, he'll, he'll make you feel that you don't belong to Christ anymore. He might make you feel that you've out the mercy and grace of Jesus. The truth of God's word would tell us that you have not out the mercy and grace of Jesus, that there's more mercy in Jesus and, and forgiveness in Jesus than sin in you. You can't out-sin the mercy and grace of God. But Satan, the enemy, will lie to you and make you think that you have. Or he'll lie to you in the similar way that he lied to Eve and tried to make you dis, distrust God, that God isn't for you. You're going through trial. They're going through trial. They're going through suffering. They're going through hardship. He wants you to think that God doesn't care. If you're going through trial and you think God doesn't care, you'll, you'll punt on your your. your your, your God, your King, your Lord, your Savior, you'll punt on his word. You'll go find another source. And Satan would be glad to give you reprieve that way. But, but we need the truth of God's word to combat the lies that even though we may be in a high-pressured environment, things might not be working out in the way we had thought. We might feel like we're shipwrecked at sea like the Apostle Paul has been. We trust that God is sovereign. He loves us. He's, he's ruling and reigning. And he, his word tells us and reminds us of the truth that we need. So we must be tethered to God's word or we will not be able to endure. And then lastly, Additionally, we must wield 
the sword. The sword is not just something we use to defend ourselves, to combat lies, to believe truth, to, to endure, but it's also a weapon we use. Not to harm people. We, we wield our sword to advance the mission. We, we teach God's word because God's word is profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness. We, we study God's word. We help others know God's word. We, we preach it on Sundays. We teach it in groups. But then you are equipped to go share God's word with any and everyone you know. And two of the reasons, I believe, why we don't go share God's word as it's been revealed in the world we live in because of the high pressure environment is because we don't like feeling inadequate. You ever shared God's word? You ever taught the Bible? You never try to share your faith with someone? And afterwards you're like, man, I said a bunch of things. I don't even know if those were true. Like I shared that and I feel like a fool leaving here. They asked questions that I didn't have answers to. He wanted to know about this and I had no clue. I feel so inadequate. Anyone ever been there? Just fun fact, I'm there every single Sunday. Walk, I feel this way every week. If you feel inadequate in, in, in sharing your faith or, or teaching God's word, or, and not even saying on a, on a stage, but just trying to help people examine the scriptures and see that it's profitable for teaching, for learning, for growing, just, just that, you feel in, just inadequate doing that. If that's how you feel, congratulations. That's how you should feel. If you are in here today and you don't feel inadequate in, in, in wielding the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, you are inadequate. I'll just let you know in the secret. You are inadequate. God doesn't use adequate people. He uses inadequate people. He uses foolish things to shame the wise. He uses weak men to shame the strong. He uses the, the foolish things of the world to, to shame their wisdom. God only uses inadequate people. Why? Because inadequate people are dependent on God's word. They, they trust the scriptures, not themselves. They cling to the God's word, God's power, not their own power. Additionally, the second thing that often keeps people from sharing God's word effectively is that because they feel inadequate, they run to, to scholarship and study. And so they want, they, they want to know all the answers to everything. And what they end up doing is filling them, their, their mind with such knowledge and such information that they empty the word of God of its power. They think they are the, 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 the power to save, not the gospel of Jesus and not the word of God. I'm not against study. I'm very for study. But if you're waiting to, to share your faith, to tell people about what you believe in the, in the God of the scriptures, if you're waiting to get some sort of information or some sort of knowledge before you do it, you will wait for an eternity because you'll be crippled in that, 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 that place of inadequacy. Or you will try to overcome that by, by, by standing upright on your own two feet, forsaking, uh, not wanting to feel inadequate and therefore in pride Share God's word ineffectively because you became the source of power, not the word of the spirit, the word of God. Church, I need you to see, none of you believed in Jesus because of someone's great proclamation of the gospel. None of you believed in Jesus because they answered all your questions. None of you believed in Jesus because you had all the information. None of you did. And none, no one else will. Believe in Jesus because you know it all. 
We're told in Romans 1.16 that the, 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 the gospel is the power of God to save. It's the news that saves. It's the news that saves. So herald the news. Share God's word in such a way that people will either reject it or reject you. They will either hate their sin, turn from it to Jesus, their savior, or they'll hate you. There's no neutrality in this world. We're gonna stand tall, stand firm, and, and keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Wield and use his word. Grow in discipleship, grow in learning it. Yes, absolutely. We wanna mature. But if you're waiting to mature, to talk about Jesus, to share what little information and knowledge you have, wait no longer. And watch, God used the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Oftentimes, you see it, and in Acts 18, you see it with Apollos. Apollos knew very little of God's word. All he knew, all he knew was Jesus. That's all he had, person work of Jesus, that's all he had. And he just boldly went to synagogues preaching. Then some church leaders got him aside and said, hey bro, you need, some, you need some other information. They discipled him afterwards. If you're waiting for an opportunity, you're waiting for when do I go and, and, and tell people about this God I love? When do I tell my kids? When do I tell my friends? When do I tell my roommates? When do I tell my family members? Do I, what do I have to know? What seminary do I have to graduate from? What, what, when, when do I know that I can, I can, I'm equipped to share God's word? Now. Now. The word of God equips you for every work. Just take what you do know the verses you do have, and be faithful with those. And then may God give you increase, increase, and then be faithful with much. If you're waiting for the big show, the big lights, the big day, where you know everything, and you're gonna herald it, you'll be waiting until Jesus comes back. Let's not be a church like that. The word of God is the power source. It's sufficient for all of life. It helps us endure. It conforms us to Christ's likeness, and it equips us for every good work. It equips us to train, to teach, to share God's word with others. Be faithful to it. Don't deviate from it. If you deviate from it, you lose power. You stay tethered to it, you have power. Endeavor to do it. Stand tall, keep marching. Let's pray. Jesus, we wanna be the type of men and women who endure hard times like good and faithful soldiers. Uh, we wanna, uh, as, as increased pressure comes upon your church um, and times are trying and uh, man, people may even disagree or persecution comes that we see that, man, if we wanna live godly lives, we must be ready to be persecuted. Uh, we don't seek out persecution, but we stand tall and herald your, your gospel. We live out the, the word of God in our word, indeed, in every sphere that you've placed us in, any opportunity we have to talk about you, Jesus, any opportunity we have to, to, to teach and, and share your word so that more people can know you or more people, Christians, can be conformed in, to your likeness. May we step into those opportunities. May we wait no longer. May we be the men and women who cling to your word knowing that that is the power if we deviate from your word, we have something to worry from. But if we stay tethered to it, no matter what they say about us, whatever false things they say, or if they mock us, they think we're stupid, or they just want to argue and fight, who cares? You love us, and that's enough. Thank you, Jesus, for that. In your name I pray. Amen.